and welcome back. I'm Gracie, and as you heard from our update last week and our new intro, Stephanie is here for today's episode in spirit. Yes, that's right. It's really weird. I'm still getting used to it. Been looking at the pros and cons. This podcast is kind of, you know, set on a conversational style. Uh, However, on the bright side of this, we're on, you know, a pro, I could argue that I talk to myself all of the time, all the time. And naturally, sometimes I crack myself up. I have inner monologue every day of my life. We'll narrate some things that people are doing on the street. And that's just how I live my life. (laughs) And so recording solo should not be much different. Like I'm just sitting here and I'm talking to all of you guys just like friends, just like friends. So they're all learning curves. They're all learning curves. Okay, so the story that I'm sharing with you all today is one of the deepest dives that I have done yet for a case. And this has happened in Grand Rapids, Michigan, back in 2018. And by the time this episode airs on November 30th, it's going to mark three years. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a lot. (laughs) This case, it has been very draining. We've had this sitting in a Google Docs folder for about six months. And we've also kind of played hot potato with the case when we weren't sure like who was going to cover true crime, who was going to cover paranormal, etc, etc. Yeah, so it feels really weird to talk about this. But I think it's important to because, I mean, we'll dive into it and you'll understand like why I feel the way that I do and why I think that we should talk about this because I feel like in some senses there are levels of injustice. And I think that people need to know that, yes, while this case is technically solved, it still feels really unsolved and it feels like there's still some like really dark areas and her family doesn't have closure. And I just think that's really fucked up. And before we start, I'm going to give you guys a trigger warning for the entirety of this episode. It involves a truly evil individual named Jared Chance who senselessly murdered his friend Ashley Young. The details to follow are incredibly heavy, gruesome, and of graphic nature. Listener discretion is strongly advised. There are also moments in this case that will literally make you say, what the fuck, out loud. And yeah, I'll say it with you when these parts come up. So with that, we are just going to dive right in. 31-year-old Ashley Young was overall a bright and sunshiny individual who was loved by many. Her friends and family describe Ashley as incredibly generous, and I mean, there's some really sweet examples of this generosity. There was this one time in the 10th grade when she gave a girl a pink Starburst, just because it was the best flavor, and the two ended up becoming best friends, and they remained best friends for years after that. In fact, Ashley had recently treated this friend to a concert in Detroit and paid for everything. The ticket, booking the hotel, and even bought this friend a t-shirt while at the concert. And Ashley would also hide cute little notes around for her friends to find later. And her favorite expression was, If I bought you a smile, would you wear it? Ashley's kindness and compassion for others is just overall so contagious, and you can really tell that she just wants to make those around her happy, She wants to brighten people's days. She wants to be supportive in any way she can. Just a heart of complete gold. 
and this reflected in her adult life when she immediately started working jobs that allowed her to help others. After she graduated Grand Haven High School in 2005, she started working as a caregiver in group homes for the developmentally disabled, and she worked there for a long time, up until 2014 or 2015, I believe. And right around this time is when she moved to Ashtimo Township in the Kalamazoo area, where she started working at a call center for a bank. Meanwhile, she attended classes at Kalamazoo Valley Community College with plans to graduate in May. After graduation, she planned to attend Western Michigan University to study language and culture. And I just wanted to say that this is a small note that really stuck out to me about who Ashley is as a person. She was fascinated with other cultures and religions. In particular, she was getting a lot of insights of a friend from India and was studying to convert to Islam due to her long-term boyfriend being Muslim. So genuinely, Ashley was the type of person who really wanted to learn about the world around her and the people in it. And yeah, I just think that is, that is just wonderful. Language, culture, anthropology, like that is the study of human cultures and it, a lot of it requires immersing yourself in it. And I think that that's what she was doing. So there was just this very strong sense of purpose towards humanity that she carried with her everywhere. Ashley was also the type of person to believe there was good in everyone, even if they made mistakes. So Ashley had this one friend from the past named Jared Chance, who was 30 at the time. All of her friends and family hated this guy and didn't think Ashley should give him the time of day. But nonetheless, Ashley continued to try and help him when nobody else would. And Jared, yeah. Let me tell you guys about Jared, not a fucking chance. He had a huge record that didn't track well with Ashley's friends and family. Yeah, we're talking a huge police report. Before we continue on, I know you guys are probably going to be wondering about his very early childhood or if there were any traumas, domestic violence, or CPS reports. Uh, no, there was nothing on that slate. Not even a scratch. And the same thing went for mental illnesses. Like, there was nothing, nothing of that type. Jared Chance grew up in Holland, Michigan, and over the span of 10 years, from 2006 to 2016, Jared had 38 interactions with the police. Yes, 38. His parents, James and Barbara Chance, and his little brother, Conrad Chance, appear in many of the police reports. His father was also a retired police sergeant. I'm just going to say, tab that little note right there on the parents. They'll come up a little bit later on. Yeah. So, as a teenager, Jared Chance was caught several times stealing beverages, alcohol, and other small items from the store in Holland. Then, in 2009, 20-year-old Jared Chance began a series of incidents with the police in which he was either drunk, high, or in possession of weed. One of these times was at the Tulip Time Festival in Holland, when Jared blew a blood alcohol content of .189, which is more than double the legal limit. Another drunk moment happened later that year in July 2009, when Jared was walking down the street. He got stopped by police and lied about his identity. Well, the police ended up handcuffing him and detaining him. The officer was trying to buckle Jared into the backseat of a cruiser when Jared suddenly lunged forward and headbutted the officer in the face, which drew blood. Oh, and this happened right in front of his parents, and they didn't even seem to bat an eye. So it really makes me wonder about the parents, you know? At the surface level, I'm kind of getting the vibe that they're the quote-unquote jellyfish parents that don't give a fuck. 
Maybe possibly until a worse crime is committed. Or maybe not. Let's find out later. The following spring, Jared Chance entered his then-girlfriend's home without permission, crawling through the dog door to get inside. And in hindsight, maybe that is because he's a little bitch. The next year, summer 2011, his parents called 911 when Jared, drunk yet again, began punching the wall and throwing things in the residence. James Chance told police his son was not welcome back in the home. But 45 minutes later, Jared came back and police were called again. Drunk with a blood alcohol content of 0.13 this time, Jared was shouting at his mother. Jared began walking away from police officers and then threw multiple punches at a police officer, punching the officer in the head as they tried to take him into custody. Police officers ended up having to tase Jared three times just so they could get him in handcuffs. And then, in 2016, he was arrested for possession of methadone and oxycodone. He was placed on probation, but violated it three times before it was revoked. So, Jared Chance and his brother, Conrad with a K, also got into it a lot. Not just arguments, but they'd physically fight over the dumbest shit. In January 2016, Jared and Conrad Chance were both fighting over a set of car keys. According to police on the scene, Jared had red marks on his face, cheek, and forehead. When asked about the incident, their father, James Chance, said nothing had gone on, and it was just simply two brothers fighting. Hmm. Like I mentioned before, seems kind of like, hmm. I don't know. Just two brothers fighting? And this guy, he's like a former police officer, like, are you going to lay down some laws for your kids? Are you going to like set some kind of boundaries? Because they're kind of breaking every single one of them and having complete disregard for, you know, each other as siblings and their surrounding environment. So uh, I, have a, I have a lot to say. I have a lot to say. But we're going to carry on. Two days later, after that whole dumb incident, Conrad contacted Holland police, stating he was assaulted by Jared, not the other way around. Oh, and there's even more with Jared's brother that Conrad will later testify in court. So we're not even to the tip of the iceberg with Jared. We're just letting you all know now that it gets way worse. There was this incident over at Jared's apartment. According to Conrad, Jared went to another room to get a gun, came back, pointed the gun at Conrad's head, and pulled the trigger more than once without even first checking to see if the gun was loaded. Um, yeah, and yet another time during heated exchange between the brothers, Jared took out a blowtorch and kept getting closer and closer to Conrad's face and was acting like he was going to burn Conrad. <laughs> okay, and in yet another incident... Jared was allegedly hitting Conrad with a stick and told him from Jared's words, quote, I'm going to kill you, F word. And I'm sure that you guys can piece together what that word is. I say fuck a fucking lot. So this other word is really fucking bad. It's derogatory and we hate it. It's disgusting. <sighs> yeah. All right. According to Conrad Chance, the fight had actually been about Conrad stealing a five-pound shipment of weed that Jared had received from California. The brothers fought again the next week, also over the missing weed. Conrad told police he thought his brother hit him hard enough to give him a concussion. And then Jared told police his little brother had thrown hot coffee in his face. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. 
boohoo. Like you did all this other shit. You like were coming at him with a blowtorch. You pointed a gun in his face and pulled the trigger multiple times without even with what? <laughs> without even checking to see if it was loaded. Like, dude, come on. So that night, their father, James, took Conrad to spend the night at the Economy Inn in Holland to separate them. Okay, um, I'm sorry. That's all their father was going to do? A retired police sergeant. Okay, he's just going to separate them. And he's not going to set any boundaries. He's just going to enable criminal behavior in his son, Jared, by not taking extreme measures for discipline. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. (laughs) Yeah. What a fucking train wreck, guys. The next month, there was another fight between Conrad and Jared about missing pills. When asked about the arguments between his sons, James said, Conrad is always able to run away from Jared because he is faster. As if, okay, I'm sorry, if that, as if that is a form of self-defense, he's faster. Okay, okay. Uh, the brothers were 27 and 24 around this time of that fight. And Jared's drug issues escalated even further in 2016 when Conrad called 911 as Jared was unresponsive and not breathing in the backyard of their family's home. Their mother, Barbara, was doing CPR on her son when first responders arrived. Four days later, the Holland Fire Department was called again to assist Jared Chance administering a dose of Narsen, which stops opioid overdoses. The next month, three men beat Jared in the front of his family's home with an aluminum baseball bat. The officer at the scene wrote in their report, quote, I believe this was the Chance residence as I had been there numerous times on a number of narcotic calls and disturbance calls involving both Jared and Conrad Chance. So Jared called in one of the last police reports himself, and this was before he moved to Grand Rapids from Holland. And in this report, he told police that there were three subjects in the backyard wearing camouflage and in possession of a rifle. When police got to the house, nobody was in the backyard or surrounding area. Jared said that he had taken photos of the subjects on his phone, but they were all just completely random photos of either a black screen or of his room. And there's actually a few random pictures of his feet, too, according to police reports, which, ew, gross, Jared. Nobody wants to see your nasty feet pics. All right, yeah, so that was about a decade's worth of ground that we just covered about Jared, and it's a lot. Uh, People who knew him said that he was wild and prone to violent outbursts, but Ashley saw something different. It's kind of uncertain how these two became friends in the first place, which was something I was really curious about, considering that Holland, Michigan is a solid 30-minute drive, or it's about 22 miles away from Grand Haven, where Ashley had gone to high school. Some people had said through work, um, other people said through mutual acquaintances, but whatever the case was, they had been friends for quite a while, or at least up until 2013 when Jared broke into Ashley's apartment and stole some of her personal belongings and sold them all for himself. (laughs) Um, yeah. After that, they hadn't talked for a few years until sometime in 2017 to 2018 when a friend convinced Ashley to reconnect with Jared on Facebook. So 
Jared and Ashley reconnected. Ashley knew he was a troubled guy, but saw something deep down that there was some good in him and she just wanted to help him. They exchanged messages back and forth. Jared told her he couldn't catch a break, and Ashley, being the forgiving and easygoing person she was, she believed Jared. And she forgave Jared, and eventually the two made plans to get together. So I know that I said this earlier, that Ashley had a boyfriend. So Ashley and her boyfriend, according to her mother in an interview, they were on a break at this time. And I also wanted to say that there is nothing like a romantic connection between Jared Chance and Ashley Young. As far as we know, the only detail that I came across in some interviews and videos was his defense attorney, like later on, that was saying that Jared might have had a crush on Ashley. Um, but that is about it. And that's all that I really want to tell you guys that... This is what is mind-blowing. It was platonic. And now we're diving into the real deal, so please buckle up. If you are not wearing a seatbelt in this vehicle at all times, uh, you are in for a fucking ride. Okay. On Monday, November 26, 2018, Ashley told her mom she was talking to Jared again, but didn't tell her mom that she had plans to see Jared. Ashley knew her mom hated Jared and didn't want her to be around him but Ashley didn't want to believe her mom. In an interview, her mother, Christine, said, quote, She just didn't believe that anything would ever happen. She wore rose-colored glasses. Now because she trusted him, she's dead. Unquote. So on Wednesday, November 28th, Ashley traveled to Grand Rapids to see Jared. From there, they went back and forth between the Hookah Lounge and Mulligan's Pub, which are both in walking distance from each other. Yeah, so this kind of makes it a small world. Apparently, our friend Jake was at Mulligan's that night and was outside smoking a cigarette, which happened to be his last one. And he saw Jared and Ashley outside, and Jared approached him asking if he could bum one. And yeah, our friend just was out of cigarettes and was like, no, dude. So from that, between bar patrons and the bartenders working at Mulligan's, nobody noticed anything unusual. Instead, Jared and Ashley appeared to be having a good time. Ashley had a few shots of Patron, which she didn't finish, and Jared had a Budweiser beer. Just a small little detail I noticed here before we continue. Ashley didn't finish her shots of Patron. Obviously, this could mean a few different things, but I got a, I kind of got a vibe here that maybe she didn't feel like drinking, or maybe she had somewhere to be the next day and didn't want to wake up feeling awful. So maybe she was just trying to slow her roll while still having fun and being out. You know, that's completely relatable. And it turns out, yes, Ashley actually did have plans that following day, which was to co-sign a lease on an apartment with her mom on Thursday, November 29th. And that's a big deal. When you're co-signing a lease, more than likely you're scheduling a slot time to meet with a leasing consultant and, of course, making sure that... That date and that time also works with your co-signer. So when Ashley never showed up, her mom got super worried because this wasn't like Ashley at all. She tried calling her, texting her, but there was no response. And I mean, there's that small possibility, of course, where she could have changed her mind last minute about the place. But the thing is, Ashley and her mom were very close and... 
They had a really good relationship. They talked to each other just about every day. If something fell through or she changed her mind, she definitely would have let her mom know. Her mom, Christine, tried getting a hold of Ashley for several days and still didn't hear anything from her daughter. The thing that's really weird about this whole thing is at 5.45 a.m. that day, when her and Ashley were supposed to meet, like before she even knew Ashley went missing, she woke up from a dead sleep and said her entire body was cold. Her legs were numb. Her arms were numb. Later in an interview, Christine went on to say she was fairly certain that at this time was the time her daughter died. Wow. Okay, so... That is something that I also want you guys to tap right now. It is incredibly chilling. And I remember as I was typing this, revising this, and even as I say this now, like my hands just feel cold just saying this out loud. I can't imagine, oh my God, what her mother has gone through. And yeah, her mom went through a lot. After those few days of being unable to reach Ashley, Christine went into investigator mode and started calling and messaging Ashley's friends to see if they had heard from her. Eventually, Christine found out that Ashley was with Jared the night before. Her and Ashley were supposed to meet and co-sign that lease for the apartment. So yeah, she went on full FBI mode and obtained Jared's contact information from Ashley's friends. Then she called him, texted him, and left him messages on Facebook. One of the messages she left said, quote, Hello, Jared. My name is Christine Young. I'm looking for my daughter. She was last with you. Is she with you? She needs to contact me. Tell her I'm going to contact the police to do a missing persons report. Unquote. Jared replied with a text. He said that he and Ashley had been at the Hookah Lounge and Mulligan's Pub on the night of Wednesday, November 28th into the early morning hours of Thursday, November 29th. He added that they had returned to those places on the night of the 29th. He told Christine that Ashley had lost her phone at the hookah lounge and that Ashley went back there to pick it up on November 30th before driving back to Kalamazoo to work third shift. And this really puzzled Christine because it didn't match what she knew of Ashley's work schedule, which at this time is PNC Bank, which has you know, your typical first maybe running into second shift hours. But yeah, Ashley was working third shift that night. Okay, okay. Um, nonetheless, Jared reassured Christine that he had just spoken to Ashley. And oh, right, Jared and Ashley's friend Demetrius Taylor actually had just seen Ashley. He gave Christine several phone numbers to try, which he said belonged to Demetrius. Like, okay, what is Demetrius? First of all, what is Demetrius doing with seven numbers? Like that is sketch as fuck already to just be like, hey, Hey, Christine, um, Demetrius Taylor, um, yeah, so if he doesn't answer this one, like this phone number, it could be this phone number. If he doesn't answer that one, it could be this phone number. Like, what is this? Is this his landline, his cell phone, his work, his, I don't know, his secondary phone that he doesn't give to solicitors, like his personal phone? Like, what the fuck is going on here? God, this guy is an idiot stick. Okay. So meanwhile, Jared is texting Demetrius saying, hey, Christine is going to contact you. Tell her that Ashley was with you at some point. The literal texts that were sent by Jared said, quote, yo, tell her you stay in Kalamazoo. Answer your damn phone, foo, and tell her she just left, unquote. 
Right. So Christine eventually gets a hold of Demetrius, who went against Jared. A. He went against Jared. And told Christine the fucking truth. He straight up denied knowing Ashley or having seen her. Jared had no explanation as to why Demetrius didn't know Ashley and eventually stopped responding to Christine's calls and messages. Yeah, basically, Jared lied to Ashley's mom repeatedly, attempting to make Christine believe that her daughter was still alive. And the worst part, he tried getting his friend in on this to lie on his behalf. Yeah, Christine was really freaked out by all this, so she filed a missing persons report with the police and the same day went to Mulligan's and asked the owner if she could see the CCTV footage from the nights Ashley was there. The video footage confirmed Ashley was there on one of those nights with Jared. And while watching this footage, her mom just wanted to pull Ashley from the screen just to protect her, which is very haunting. Like when you haven't seen your daughter, you haven't heard your daughter from days and you just see this like faint image of her that's just on video. Like this is the only physical representation that her mom had at this point. And she had a bad feeling about Jared. She always did. And she sees this evil that's lurking near her daughter. And she just wanted to like, just reach into, <laughs> I, I was just like reaching in the air at that moment, just reach into that screen, just like pluck her daughter from that reality and just like bring her back home safe. <sighs> the same day that Christine contacted police, Jared's neighbor, Mario Nelson, also contacted police on December 2nd. Just to give a little context and to set the scene here. The building Jared and Mario live in has split units and a shared basement for amenities such as laundry. Um, the house Steph and I live kind of functions that same way. And I just wanted to note this for the next part, that these buildings or houses are very, very old. Like, late 1800s, early 1900s, that's typically when all of these buildings have been built. And the walls are paper thin. So if you're living in the lower unit of one of these places you're going to hear quite a bit from upstairs and from the basement. Earlier that morning, Mario's girlfriend heard Jared rumbling around in the basement and had also seen a woman rummaging through Jared's trash. Which, you know, is strange, but it gets worse. Because there was this weird sewage-like stench that was kind of lingering near the basement, which prompted Mario to investigate. Upon walking down the stairs... Mario discovered a tarp with a stream of blood trailing from it. He immediately called police who came for further investigation. Sergeant Greg Alcala of the Grand Rapids Police Department responded to the 911 call and upon entering the basement noticed a distinct odor of death and decay. Inside the tarp was a female torso. That's it. Just a torso. Remember that detail earlier about Christine when she woke up that morning around 5.45 and felt her arms and legs went numb and believed this was the time her daughter was dead? Yeah. So these findings at the crime scene are just plain chilling. Because all they have for a body is the torso. There were no arms, no legs, and her head was also missing here. While they searched this area some more, they found a bloody saw blade in the basement, and hidden inside the furnace duct were 439 unused bullet casings, as well as two used casings that were fired from a .22 caliber gun. Okay, so 
Where they found these casings led from the basement furnace to Jared's apartment. And right by the back porch of Jared's apartment was a black trash can with a mop inside it. Inside this trash can were two additional saw blades, a boot, a bathtub drain cover, extra trash bags, a plastic bottle of ammonia, latex gloves, a roll of plastic wrap, and get this, get this, guys, a pair of navy blue pants with Jared's name on it. Not only did this idiot stick commit murder in a shared basement that he obviously failed to clean up, he also left a pair of his own pants with his name written on the inside of them at the crime scene. Like, I'm sorry, what? This guy just reached a whole new level of idiocracy. He literally sounds like the type of person who labels underwear with days of the week but still fails to get the day right or change them out. All right, so adding on to that, several of these items were soaked in blood, which they later tested and confirmed it was Ashley's DNA. On the landing of the stairwell leading up to Jared's apartment was a pair of women's black boots, a box fan, like, you know, just the box that a fan came in, a purple tote, and a cardboard box with Jared's name and address written across it. Okay, so let's uh, let's see what is inside this cardboard box that has his name and address blatantly written across it, okay? Inside this box is a plastic bag containing two human legs without feet and two human arms without hands. So at this point, they have a torso, arms, legs, but they still don't have the neck or the head of this body nor do they have the hands or feet of this body, which save this as another tab for later because it's going to come back into the investigation and the trial. Yeah. Um, I thought that this was like kind of an interesting little thing while I was doing all this research. There was a very familiar name that popped up, and it turns out that um, one of my former friends their mom was actually on this case. Like right then and there, she was the one to open this box and find all these other pieces of evidence. And that alone made my heart sink even further and made this case hit even closer to home. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. And when we see or hear about a precious human life that was just completely disregarded by someone just incredibly sick and evil, that stays with us. It's a different kind of haunting. The weight of this case is extremely heavy, and I think that it's one that I had mentioned earlier that has stuck with Grand Rapids community for a while now. Diving back into what was found in the investigation, inside the purple tote bag that was on the stairwell leading to Jared's apartment was a pair of shoes, a prescription medication bottle, and plastic shower curtain rings. Inside the fan box was duct tape and a black plastic trash bag with stained bedding and women's clothing. The clothing tested positive for Ashley's DNA, as well as the DNA of two unknown individuals. Inside Jared's apartment, police found a kitchen tile that was stained a dark red color, a utility knife inside the trap of the toilet in Jared's bathroom. So like when you open up the toilet, you know, um, it was hidden in there. They found a white hand towel with a reddish-brown stain, 
a pair of blue jeans, size 30, with a brownish colored stain on the left upper front. The trap of Jared's sink also tested positive for blood and contained a small piece of human tissue. They also found that the washing machine in Jared's apartment also tested positive for blood, as well as a black hoodie and bath mat. All of these items, including the saw blade, all tested positive for Ashley's DNA. And by the sound of this, like, this was a fucking bloodshed. Like, it sounds out of this world that, first of all, another human can do this to an individual. Or, I'm sorry, not a human. That that there is such evil that lurks on this planet that could do this to another human being. That is what I meant. Because... This And it just sounds like it's just scattered everywhere. And he was just living amongst this. Like, how? I'm sorry, how could you live with yourself knowing that in your sink, you like probably discarded human remains down the disposal, down the garbage disposal, like that human life was nothing. How can you just throw everything in trash bags and... What the fuck? I'm sorry. What the fuck happened, Jared? What the fuck? (sighs) I, 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 okay. I need a, sorry. I need a minute. In addition to finding all this, they found three shower curtain rings out in the backyard that matched the shower curtain rings from Jared's apartment. So basically this means that Jared was in a complete hurry and he was in the bathroom and he just ripped the shower curtain down Some of the rings remained on, you know, like on his shower curtain rod. And then there were a few that were found outside. And so they don't have a shower curtain here that is on the premises, meaning it was disposed of or it's somewhere else. And then the question is, is what was that shower curtain used for? Kind of curious. Like, was it used to conceal some of the things that he was transporting to another place? We're about to find that out. Uh, Meanwhile, Jared was arrested while he was sleeping, and this led police to take the investigation over to Holland, Michigan, Hmm. which is where Jared's parents lived. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Right when they started searching the parents' house, guess what they found in the garage, you guys? Yeah, you guessed it. A shower curtain. Police also found a black and red skill saw underneath the floral couch in their living room. Yeah. Just so you know, nice grandma and grandpa couch, and there's a black and red skill saw just underneath it that has blood and human tissue on it as well. Okay. What else do they find? A washcloth in the basement that was soaked in blood in the trunk of the parents' Honda CRV. Police found an empty box of blue latex gloves, as well as an empty bottle of ammonia. On this bottle was a label from Miss Tracy's party store, which was right down the road from Jared's apartment. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder. I wonder. Yeah. So let me tell you guys that this party store is beyond sketch. There are times I've driven past it and there are people casually out in the parking lot partying. They're just literally chilling. Um, I've seen some people dance on the top of their cars. 
Now, before people say that this sounds like fun, this is also close to one of the worst intersections in Grand Rapids. So that's just to add some more perspective um, that I don't even want to go there in daylight. So this party store had some video surveillance that showed Jared making several purchases, three founders all-day IPAs, paid for on a credit card, as well as ammonia and trash bags, which were paid for in cash. Huh. Interesting little detail that he tried to hide his purchase history, yet still failed to cover up his tracks on every other level. Good job, idiot stick. Good job. Uh, yeah, because this footage also shows him putting an orange or red bag into the trash can right in front of the store. Okay, so once this was taken out to the dumpster by the workers, police recovered the bag and inside it was more women's clothing, prescription bottles with Ashley's name on it, and a purse with Ashley's driver's license and school ID. There was a stain on the pair of jeans that also tested positive for human blood. <sighs> wow. Wow. I'm just thinking the same where everyone else is right now. What a fucking idiot. They also found Ashley's car, which was parked on a street near Jared's house, which it turns out that car had been moved there, presumably by Jared. We're just going to do a little backtracking here, okay? So if this is just to put a timeline together and to piece together and make sense of what really happened between November 28th and December 1st, because all these lines are a little bit blurry. Okay, so going back to Mario Nelson, Jared's neighbor, he later testified at trial and said that he knew Jared was in possession of a revolver because on one occasion, Jared had spun the gun around on the table while Mario was visiting, which made him uncomfortable. He also recalled that Jared had bragged in the past about how to get rid of a body, including how to remove his fingerprints and how to clean up blood because, quote, his dad used to be in an Irish mob, unquote. Hmm. Okay, Jared. Okay. After what police found at your apartment, we are all thoroughly convinced. Mario went on to say that he visited Jared's apartment to smoke some weed and recalled seeing Ashley at Jared's apartment around the time she went missing. Mario couldn't recall an exact date, but sometime shortly after, Jared had asked Mario to help him unlock Ashley's car, claiming that she had locked her keys inside it. Mario's girlfriend later testified that she saw Jared driving that same car on November 30th. So now it is December 1st. The phone records show that Jared had called his family, and shortly after, his family made a trip to Grand Rapids, and they picked Jared up from his apartment. Jared loaded up the family Honda CRV with several cardboard boxes. Then they drove over to Ashley's car, which had been moved to a street near Jared's house. They picked up a few more things from her car. Then they stopped at Costco, where Barbara allegedly picked up a chicken pot pie. Just another casual fucking pit stop. <laughs> Okay, once they arrived back at the family house in Holland, Jared took something out of the car and placed it in the fire pit. Later in Conrad's basement bedroom, Jared admitted what he had done. Jared confessed to his parents shortly after. 
After Jared's confession, they drove Jared back to his apartment in Grand Rapids and returned the box to the house. Then the family drove Jared to the Grand Rapids Police Department. So Jared and his father walked in, went up to the front desk, and said that they had some information to share about the disappearance of Ashley Young. Apparently, the officer at the desk told James and Jared that they had to go all the way over to the Kalamazoo Police Department, where Ashley lived, and was reported missing by her mother there. The police later contradicted this and said that they did want to speak with Jared, but his father was just spewing all the stuff. First of all, saying that his son was being harassed on social media and Facebook, that people on Facebook had told him that he better submit himself for questioning, but then stating that Jared would not speak to police without an attorney present. Basically, like they were just walking in here and saying like, my son is being cyber bullied. Holy shit, saying that he should turn himself in. So we're turning him in right now, but he's not talking to police. No, he needs an attorney. And yeah, so one of the lieutenants who spoke with James Chance later went on to say, quote, we don't just provide attorneys for people who just walk through the door and say, you have to provide me an attorney, unquote. Yeah, so however, no arrests had been made, so the police didn't provide one. Um, but here's the thing, guys. Remember when I said keep tabs on the parents because they're going to be important in this case? All right, this is where everything starts to make a full circle, as if, you know, the evidence at their house wasn't enough. This is where it really comes into play. Uh, it turns out that Jared's dad was a police officer with the Rock Island Police Department in Rock Island, Illinois, from 1965 to 1989 before moving to Holland and becoming a licensed professional counselor. Yeah, Let's replay that again. His dad had a history in law enforcement and therefore had specialized knowledge about police work. His personal records show that Mr. Chance was a detective and an investigator on the Illinois Police Department's major case unit at one point during his career. Okay, the major case unit. So he knows how investigations go. So if he knows how investigations go, shouldn't he know the protocol of obtaining an attorney you know, just not waltzing into a police station and demanding one. Yeah. Now, this is when the whole case gets really tricky because we can't be certain how involved Jared's parents were in what happened. So we're, we can only kind of speculate and put some pieces together of what we have as evidence. And that's what's really frustrating about this whole case is because there are still links we're missing to get full closure, especially for her family. But without her hands, feet, neck, and head, we can't get a full autopsy to determine her exact cause of death. So a forensic pathologist named David Start did a partial autopsy on Ashley's torso, arms, and legs that were available to him to examine, and he found no injuries. Due to the evidence that was present, which were the empty bullet shells found in Jared's apartment and the blood stains in her clothing, he believes that Ashley could have died from blunt force trauma or a gunshot wound to the head. And this was his best bet because the head and the neck were never found or they were conveniently hidden better than the rest. Hmm. The prosecutor on this case, Lawrence Boyven, suggested that's why the head hasn't been found. He said... Why do you hide the head? You hide the head because that shows exactly how she died. 
Part of the main speculation on this whole case is that his parents helped their son dispose of Ashley's remaining body parts. Yeah. So I'm going to backtrack here to when they picked Jared up from his apartment. Okay. Jared was loading up several boxes of body parts into their car. Okay. In a hatchback type vehicle. So there's no trunk. It's just, you know, out in the open, right behind the backseat, hatchback style. And we're also considering that it's December in Michigan, so the heater is probably on and circulating the stagnant air in the car. I'm sorry. How do you not smell blood or death or anything in that close of a proximity? <laughs> like, how do you not? Um, Steph and I were talking about this, and we were trying to make sense of, you know, it depends on certain conditions for a body because I was trying to argue like, yeah, there's no fucking way. Like she had been dead for at least 24 hours and it would depend on the temperature in Michigan. Like if it's in a Michigan style basement, that's already like really pretty cold. Um, you know, then you could think that some of the body parts like would be kind of frozen or preserved in this sense. So maybe decomposition doesn't take full effect and it's not um, as strong as the smell of death. But we checked the weather report and got the temperature for that day and it was like 40 degrees. That's actually like a pretty, like, I know that probably sounds crazy for other people um, that aren't in Michigan, but 40 degrees is a nice day for us, okay? Uh, and 40 degrees, that is not enough like coldness to preserve a body. So this body was just sitting in his basement, okay, decomposing. And then the only thing that was covering those body parts in that moment was a plastic trash bag, which, I mean, come on, trash bags, like they can't contain smells, even if you get like the scented ones. And on that note, it was in a cardboard box. There is nothing that is keeping this scent contained. And you're in a car. You're all in close proximity. I'm sorry. How are you not going to smell that at all? And I'm making a big deal about that because I'm really pissed off about it. And also because Ashley's mom brings it up. And because, like, his dad literally said, I did not smell anything. So I'm just saying, like, y'all are fucking stupid. So just like I said, apparently Jared's father told police in an interview, I figured the body was not in the car or the pieces were not in the box because I didn't smell anything. I didn't go digging around in there. I didn't do that. Um, okay. But your son is also visibly loading ammonia and cleaning products into your car. Okay. I'm sorry, but... <laughs> How does that not raise any questions or just a little bit of curiosity as to what the fuck your son is doing? Let's not forget about that skill saw with human tissue and blood that was hiding under the family couch, the washcloth in the basement soaked in blood, as well as the shower curtain just openly sitting out in the garage. His father was also on the major case unit back in the day. Apparently, this information wasn't used in the father's trial, which I find kind of frustrating because I don't think it's something that we should disregard here. 
Because the point I want to make here is that it's possible that the father was trying to cover this up to a point where Jared's charges wouldn't be as high. So still holding Jared accountable for his actions, but not to the fullest extent. So if that head were to conveniently go missing, that would mean all the evidence wouldn't be present. That would mean they could only theorize rather than prove the exact cause of death. That would mean they wouldn't have all these puzzle pieces that are needed. So perhaps his dad thought, if we get rid of this head, then they don't have that and they can only charge him with so much. This was at least the theory of Prosecutor Boyvin, who called James Chance's alleged perjury a calculated effort to throw the investigators off course and prevent them from searching the two places the family stopped on the way to Holland, remembering that one of these places was to get a chicken pot pie. How fucking sick is this family? Anyways, whether or not the family helped him, he ended up getting a very hefty sentencing. So let's dive into what happened during this trial. Jared was charged with open murder and four counts of tampering with evidence. A Mulligan's bartender testified at trial to seeing Ashley and another man at the pub on the night of November 28th, although he could not identify the defendant as that man. He did not recall seeing Ashley on the night of the 29th. So what this basically tells us is that the date of Ashley's death was late November 28th and into the early hours of November 29th. And then Demetrius Taylor, Jared's friend from earlier that refused to lie for him, also testified in the trial. He said that Jared told him to tell Christine that Ashley had come by his house to use the phone and then left. But Demetrius told Christine the truth. He didn't know Ashley, he had never seen Ashley, and he didn't even know where she was. When Jared found out that Demetrius didn't cover for Jared, Jared blew up his phone with a bunch of texts saying, you're fucking stupid, bro. You just fucked me. Bro, delete all these messages. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, but Jared's neighbor, Mario Nelson, also testified on trial, remembering that he was the one who found Ashley's remains in the basement. Um, he basically told them that he knew Jared was in possession of a revolver, that he was pretty careless about handling guns and spun it around on the table that one time when Mario was visiting. Yeah. And uh, this was also the guy that Jared bragged to about disposing of a body because his dad used to be in an Irish mob. Okay. Um, if this was true, okay, uh, an Irish mobster would have just done us all the favor and took care of Jared Chance in the first place, if you know what I mean. But no, Jared just likes to lie and flex on things that don't exist because his own existence is so fucking pathetic. He's just a societal bottom feeder. Yeah. But back on the note of guns, Conrad Chance, Jared's brother, also got up and testified to a previous incident at Jared's apartment. You know that one where he pulled the trigger multiple times? That was the one. So according to Conrad, he had spent time with both his brother and Ashley several days before she went missing. He testified to knowing his brother had a Smith & Wesson 
22 caliber revolver and said that while hanging out with Jared and Ashley one time, Jared pulled out the gun, pointed it at his brother's head, and pulled the trigger more than once without checking to see if the gun was fully loaded. Conrad said he believed his brother was doing it playfully. Conrad also said that Ashley told Jared, you're not supposed to do that. Um, so, yeah, in Jared's defense in the trial, they were trying to argue that the evidence in this case demonstrated that he was playing with a gun carelessly and the gun accidentally fired and shot Ashley. That was the defense of this case, okay? It was all an accident. It just, he was careless with guns and it just happened and it just accidentally fired and just accidentally shot her. The medical examiner testified, basically saying, no, that's not what happened. This is not negligence. This was intentional due to the amount of blood present on her clothing and also remembering that two empty bullet shells, you know, you know those two rounds that were used? Yeah, those were found in Jared's basement. A juror also concluded that Jared even tried to hide or destroy his gun and bullets, remembering that those were hid in the furnace duct because they were most likely linked to Ashley's death. Plus, if it were an accident, wouldn't they just find one spent casing? You know, just one if it was an accident? Like, boom, oh, it was an accident. Yeah, absolutely not. There were two, there were two used shells or casings, whatever, which meant that he had fired the gun twice. Do you just accidentally shoot someone twice? Like, oh, it slipped twice. Like, I'm just trying, I'm just genuinely curious here. Please just enlighten me. Yeah. <laughs> I know that you guys are all thinking this right now. If this is an accident, how can you also accidentally dismember a person? How do you accidentally hide and dispose of all the evidence, lie to the victim's mother repeatedly, and send her on a wild goose chase? No. No, 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 no. This was intentional. In September 2019, Jared was offered a plea deal. They said, hey, listen, if you tell us where the rest of Ashley's body is, confess to second-degree murder, tampering with evidence, mutilating and concealing a body, we'll make a deal with you, okay? We'll give you another chance. You could serve a minimum sentence of 31 years. That's it. Just tell us where her remains are, confess your crimes, and you won't serve as much time. And Jared said no. He just said no. <laughs> to this day, he will not explain exactly what happened or why he did it. He won't even say where Ashley's remains are. And that is literally all her mom wants so she can put her daughter to rest. She read a letter she wrote to Jared during court. And the pain in this poor mother's voice is just... Wow. Um, I watched the video and it just left me feeling hollow. I, I don't think that I can say this and give it justice. So for these next few parts, I'm really sorry if these clips come out fuzzy. I just wanted to try and do like the most justice by like hearing this from her voice. When your parents, your brothers, your sisters, your girlfriend come to see you, do they talk to you? Do, they, do you respond? Do you laugh? Do they laugh? I am left 
with nothing but voicemails and videos that I play over and over just to hear her voice, just to hear her laugh. I no longer get to hear Asha tell me, I love you, Mom. I don't get that. You still get that from your family, your friends, your girlfriend. I don't get that. You don't deserve that. I thought I would be able to write this with all the things that I wanted to say, but I have such a hard time concentrating. Now, I cry seven days a week. Seven! Most days is to and from work. I do not sleep well. My mind never stops. Never! I just keep going back to that last conversation that I had with Ashley. Why didn't I ask where she was going? Why didn't I ask who she was going to be with, like I normally do. Maybe I could have stopped her from going to see you. I keep trying to live every moment we had together. Ashley, I miss you every moment of every day. When I was 18, I was told I would never have children by a doctor. I thank God he gave me the gift of Ashley. Even though it was for a very short period of time, God gave me that gift. You had no right to take her from me. Okay, yeah, that just wow. Um Yeah, in this whole video, like I'm going to post some like um I'm going to post like the full thing so you can like hear this whole statement because she just roasts him. And he fucking deserved that. I'm so glad that in the court they just like said, "You know what? Just tell him." Like 
give him like everything like from this statement like no one held her back like with yeah wow i'm spe- i'm literally speechless from this um the whole time he just did not make eye contact with her mother um he just sat there in handcuffs and he just looks like he's fucking dead honestly like it's it's sick yeah so he never looked her in the eyes he never apologized And when asked if he wanted to address Christine and Ashley's friends and family, he just flat out said no. And he still refuses to speak to this day. Judge Mark Trusak on this case also lit Jared up. He sentenced Jared to a minimum of 100 years in prison with the eligibility of parole when he's 130 and a maximum sentence of 200 years. Judge Trusak said, you, sir, in my mind, are a very sick individual. You are clearly a monster without any conscience whatsoever, and you are someone who is a danger to society and should never be allowed free. He said Jared's lack of remorse and compassion, the brutality of the crime, the lack of motive for the completely senseless killing— And the fact he lied to Ashley's mother repeatedly to give her hope that her daughter was still alive were factors that the sentencing guidelines didn't take into account. He said, quote, Unfortunately, I have been doing this type of work for 34 years. I've been on the bench for 13 years. I personally have been involved in over 200 murder or death cases. This is, without question, the worst case that I have ever been involved in. What you did and what I saw in photographs was reprehensible and heinous. This goes beyond comprehension. For the jury to even see the limited number of pictures that I allowed in was just incomprehensible. And yet you sat during trial and even today you make no comment I haven't, I I know you have a right to not incriminate yourself. However, I observed you during the course of this trial, and you seemed at times to derive pleasure from the testimony in this trial that was at best described as gruesome, unquote. <sighs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um... Yeah, so I'm sure you guys are wondering about the parents right now, too. So 64-year-old Barbara Chance pleaded no contest to accessory after the fact to a felony and perjury. She was sentenced to 45 days. James, who was 77 at the time, was found guilty of being an accessory to after the fact of a felony, but was cleared of one or more serious counts of perjury, and he got one month in jail. And apparently, they weren't arrested. They walked in to be booked, but they bonded out immediately. And Barbara only ended up serving 29 days, and James was just 14 days. That, and they also got a year of probation, and this all happened fairly recently, like sometime in June 2020, which means that, yeah, by now, they are off probation, and they are walking free right now. I'm very curious, like, I'm very curious to know your guys' thoughts on this episode. Like, what the fuck? Um, 
there, I still have so many questions. There's one detail that like, and this is why this has taken so long for this episode to air, to be scripted, to be revised. Um, I'm still actually in the revision phases of it, but I was like, I have to go. Like I have got to record this um, because I've just been obsessing over it of every single detail and the lack of justice of his parents' trial. It blows my fucking mind. Um, But anyways, there was this one detail, and it was, I think it was on a court document too. So it might have come from the medical examiner that there was more than one DNA that was found on Ashley's, like, torso or just, like, on some of her belongings. So obviously like that one person, it could have been Jared, but what about that second DNA of an unknown individual? Who could that have been? Again, like my mind has gone in so many circles of this case that (laughs) I'm like, I'm just taking every single detail and I'm just like taking a magnifying glass and just lighting it on fire. Like what the fuck is going on here? I want, I really want to know. So I'm going to play some clips from the sentencing of James and Barbara Chance. Uh, So these clips are on a Zoom call, so they are very fuzzy because this was like during COVID, so they couldn't actually go to to court. So it's Zoom calls, and man, in the end of each clip, I'm going to do my best to summarize like what they are saying, what happened, etc. So here we go. James, when you turned around and you looked at me and smiled at me every time with your smug little smile like you were above the law, this is not a joke. You had my daughter's body parts in your car. You drove them around. You did everything to stop my daughter the rest of her from coming home. Not all of her came back from your home. A bucket with blood in it and a mop that had blood and tissue on it and you smelled nothing. I pray. I pray every night that you are tormented by everything that you and your wife and Conrad and Jared have done. (sighs) Wow. Um, Basically, this is coming from parent to parent, and that is really powerful. Uh, Basically, Christina saying here, listen here, you smug little prick. Your son murdered my daughter, and you drove around with my daughter's body parts in your car and you smelled nothing? Yeah, just the same part that I was making a big deal about earlier. Like, how do you not smell that? Like, clean your fucking nose holes, dude. Like, it's... And I mean, if... Just like the other people that were in the car at that time, too. Like, obviously, Jared's parents. So, yeah, like, James was there, his dad... Barbara was there because she picked up the chicken pot pie. So yeah, confirmed. She was there too. If Conrad was there, okay, like, I'm sorry, your senses are still probably intact. Like, aren't you going to say, hey, dad, gee, smells really fucked up in here right now. It smells like a dead body. Like, 
And how do people just not ask those kinds of questions? Like, <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, son. What are you putting into my car right now? Like, what are you doing? Like, is that ammonia? Is that a mop? Like, me personally, I love my parents, but if I was loading an ammonia, a mop, or just any cleaning products into a car, like, how do you expect to do that without some type of dad joke? Like, if they're at least aloof to this, you know, not covering up the murder, like, they're just like, oh, like, did you just go out and kill someone? Like, I don't know. I just feel like that's a terrible dad, like, just very, you know, plain matter dad joke that you would just get from that. My family and I, we also have dark humor, too, so I apologize. But... Yeah, this whole thing is very chilling. And Ashley's father had, he also had a word on this Zoom call. So let's play his clip. Oh, I look at Mr. Chance, a police officer, sergeant. You should be ashamed of yourself for holding that badge. How you can live with yourself. You are so phony. You should be in Hollywood acting. That's where you should be. A man like you or your wife, you don't deserve to walk the streets. And what your son done was atrocious. I was born and raised in the farm. We killed our cats and sheep, and I know what's involved. And I know he's an animal, and you're not far off it. And I hope someday that the man above takes care of you. That was Ashley's father. Um, he has a very strong accent, and he had been, like, bawling his face off this whole time. So it's really hard to hear his audio. So I transcribed it, and basically he's saying, you walked the streets as a police officer or sergeant, but you're such a fraud for holding a badge. It's funny that you think you bring justice to the community or are above the law. You should just be a Hollywood actor instead. He went on to say that he was born doing farm work, raising sheep and cattle, which were eventually slaughtered, and he knows what's involved in slaughter. And he goes on to say that Jared is nothing but a wild animal, a monster, and that bad apple didn't fall far from the tree because they're just as atrocious, this family. So Jared's parents spoke and... It was such fucking bullshit. So here is their clip right now. And also I'm going to say that you can barely hear his father's statement because it was exactly that. It was barely an apology. Barbara, just fucking don't. I'm very sorry. Very sorry. And because we're from the Midwest, very sorry. Very sorry that this all happened. Like, you know, I'm sorry that your son loaded up body parts into my car and I didn't do a fucking thing to stop it from happening. And this is where I'm just going to like, this is like the full wrap up of the episode right here. Bringing all those little tabs together. So... Going over his entire police report, how did they do nothing that whole time? It just kind of builds their credibility that 
to a point like where it just doesn't really exist for me right now because they sat and they watched their son get arrested multiple times and just nothing like they just did nothing about it. They could have kicked him out multiple times, but Jared just threw like a little hissy fit and probably convinced them otherwise to keep him living in the house. But yeah, in times that they tried to separate the two boys, um, Jared and Conrad, not like still nothing. There was no sense of discipline. There was no sense of justice or anything to say, listen, son, what you did here was wrong. Here is a consequence. Jared Chance doesn't know any consequences. He doesn't know, like, what to do for his actions. And there's some other things that don't really sit well with me here. Um, I think that, okay, so for one, I'm going to say that Steph was really on the fence. She was like, you know, I want to record this episode with you. But, like, we've been talking about it back and forth, so I'm going to try to relay some of our discussions, like, the best way that I can One of them was there is this one interview with Jared in like he was in jail. He was behind bars and there was a reporter from Wood TV 8 that was just like, can you tell us what happened? Because, you know, we don't know what happened. Like I literally just told you guys this whole story and we don't know why they were friends. So why did he do this to a friend? And he just is like, he's just like, on this call and he's like I, I I don't know like I don't know what happened and she's like can you tell us where Ashley's head is like can you at least do that he's like I can't I I, I I just can't I can't tell you that right now and I mean she's just like saying listen like just give us some kind of answers and he's just like I can't I can't I want to but I can't and Those are some key words there that, like, I really held on to. I want to, but I can't. Is there some level of guilt that has built up in him about, like, what he has done? He wants to, but there's something that's holding him back from telling this truth, right? So it's either his guilty conscience that's saying, like, it's all adding up, and he's like, holy fuck, I just, like, brutally murdered somebody, and... You know, now, like, I'm just starting to, like, understand and piece together what the fuck has happened. Um, That's, like, on the guilty conscience side. On the other hand, there could be an actual existing force, like his father or something, that's saying, like, listen, like, this happened, this happened, this is what you're going to say. This is the story, this is what happened, nothing more, nothing less, you don't talk. I don't know. That's like another possibility. There's so many loose ends in here that I hate it. I hate it. I hate it so much. And I strongly, I strongly feel ways. I I hate Jared Chance and his family for just like, (laughs) just fucking say something. Just at least Like, give this mother a peace of mind. Tell her where her daughter's remaining body parts are so she can lay her daughter to rest and so that she can find peace within this whole entire situation. But the thing is, is those apologies were such bullshit, like from Barbara and James, that she can't even, like, get, 
Like, Christine, she can't even get a proper apology. Like, all of these humans involved, uh, Jared, his brother, his mom, his dad, like, this is wild. Like, they just all, as a complete family unit, lack basic human decency and empathy and are just devoid of any type of human emotion. Like, there was nothing that came from that interview that was genuine. Okay, so I am just going back and forth talking shit about this whole instance. Yeah, so as you guys can tell, this has been like an incredibly long case. There are some details that I just haven't added formally onto my Google Doc of Notes. But yeah, there's like so more that keep coming up to the surface. Uh, One of my favorite ones was during the trial of his mother and father, like when they received their sentencing of like such and such amount of days in jail for each of them, that they were actually going to take turns of serving these sentences because they couldn't leave their son home alone. Their son, Conrad, okay? They're three years apart in age, okay? So at this time, I'm pretty sure that Conrad is like 28, 29. I'm sorry, I can't serve such and such amount of time because I have to go home to my pothead son (laughs) and take care of him. Yeah, I can keep talking about this and talking about this and bringing up all these extra details. Um that are just now coming to mind. But I just want to know what you guys think. Please, can we have a discussion just for my level of sanity? Because this is my first solo recording. Um, I am not used to this. And I am currently at almost two hours and 40 minutes. I need to blink. (laughs) And I would also like to eat some food and drink a huge ass glass of water after this recording because I feel like I've been talking nonstop. So this case has like just been lingering like over this like just super gloomy cloud over me and stuff. And we just want to know like your guys' thoughts, like what you think about, do you think that like his family, do you think that they should have gotten like a longer sentence? Um, Do you think that they are responsible for it? Do you not? Just let us know what you think. You can send us an email, yourspookyneighbors at gmail.com. You could send us a DM or you can like, you know, write on the post that we'll make on Instagram and Facebook. Both of those are at yourspookyneighbors. We also have a Patreon. Um, So If you would like to support the podcast, you like the content, all that good stuff, you want some extras, then you could head right over to the Patreon. That will also be provided in the description, as well as all of the links to the resources and the videos that are so emotionally charged that like you guys just need to see it for yourself. You need to hear it for yourself. Thank you guys so much for listening. I plan on Uh, running out of this pod lab, telling Chris, let's go get some fucking ramen, and I am going to go crack a cold one. It's probably going to be Ramoon at a ramen shop. And I hope that you guys come back next time and crack a cold one with your spooky neighbors.